And good morning again. Welcome to uh, what we're... Co- I, yes. I have a question for you. Oh, okay. Who's the chumps you're referring to? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> what, you think because there's witnesses you can say whatever you want? Obviously, it's the other two guys. Okay, that's fine. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. uh, yeah, hey, welcome. We are going to be doing something a little fun this morning. We are going to be taking your questions live, which we've already gotten like a lot. Uh, and we are going to uh, be asking these guys, trying to hit as many of them as we can. I want you to know, uh, we actually have been taking different questions every service. So these are not, we, we are trying to make sure that these questions are coming from each group of people. And so there's been some common themes, but there'll be some questions we probably answer in this hour that we didn't before. Uh, and so you can still continue to submit. I have all the power, and so I get to ask all of the questions. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, I also wanted you to know, by the way, that we have, a, like I said, been getting a lot of questions in. We won't be able to answer them all, but you can always go onto our website and look at archi- sermon archives, uh, both audio and video, because uh, Randy has over the years preached a lot of sermons on some of the same topics that we're getting uh, on these questions. We're going to try to post some of these to our Facebook page, specific sermons. I like the question the last hour about suffering and evil. Yeah. I think I I had about a 40-minute answer to that last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, get on there, listen to those previous sermons, and so hopefully a lot of these questions will be answered. Um, And last, before we get into our first question, I want to introduce our panel. Uh, this is our senior pastor, Dr. Randy Hahn. Then we have our next generation pastor, Jerry Allen Witt. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to say that. I got, I never, I got the middle name in there, Jerry. I, I never get up here. So and so uh, and the, the very handsome man at the end of the row there is uh, the our uh, discipleship and singles <laughs> pastor. He's a handsome man. <laughs> that is my wife. Wait, you have your wife <laughs> and your mom uh, over uh, there. Uh, Mr. Dr. Reverend, I don't know what you are, James Ford uh, is with us. So these guys are going to be answering our questions this morning. And the first question uh, I have for each of you is, how do you plan on celebrating Star Wars Day today? So go ahead. May the 4th be with you. That's, yeah. Well, how are you going to celebrate it? I'm, I'm, I'm. It's however my wife would like to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what he said. We're big uh, <laughs> uh, no, actually, our, our first question, I think, is one we've been getting a lot on this topic. And uh, I think you and I talked about how you're going to address this even. We've been talking about a sermon series maybe at a certain time this year, maybe first of next year. Are we in the last days? That's the question. Take it away. Yes. Panel. Yes. question. <laughs> These can't be yes or no questions. I'll start. You have to elaborate. I'll I'll start. Uh, We began the last days in Acts 1-9 when Jesus ascended into heaven. And the reason those are the last days is when you look at all the prophecy and signs, there's nothing that has to happen for Jesus to return. So technically, the moment he ascended... We entered the last days. Now, when we say last days, we like to think of days, right? Not, not 2,000 years. We like to think of a, of a set number of days. But uh, yes, we are in the last days. And boy, signs are exciting, aren't they? Mm-hmm. When we like to talk about signs and what, is, what does this mean and what does that mean? Uh, I, am, I am under the, the belief, my kind of view of looking at that, is there are zero signs that need to take place for the Lord to return now, let me, let me rephrase that. There's a lot of terms that refer to the end, the day of the Lord, the return of the Lord. And then we unpack those terms and we find out, okay, that term day of the Lord includes a lot of events. And uh, some of you, I think, would be familiar with, we, we talk about the, the rapture, 
on, on maybe one side of that, the beginning of that. Armageddon, the second coming on the other side of that. There is nothing that needs to happen for the rapture to take place. And so like we got, uh, you know, like, oh gosh, what's that favorite song? The Midnight Cry? Y'all yeah. like The Midnight Cry? That's a, if, not maybe right. not so much. Anyway. This is our younger um, service. <laughs> so none of us but remember it, it, There's this cry. line in this great song that says, I look around me and I see prophecies fulfilling. And I always want to say, what prophecies? There are no prophecies that need to be fulfilled for the return of the Lord. And that's what we refer to when we say the imminent return. And it's a very important doctrine. Can you imagine right before Jesus ascended, he said, I am going to return October 9th, 2023. Do you know what we would do for 2023 years? You know, if you're a parent, you know this. Your kids call you. What time are you going to be home? Now, they're not asking you that because they miss you. If you think they miss you, you need a class. Okay? They want to know when they have to actually clean up and stop doing the things they wouldn't be doing if you were there. And we all know this because that's why I called my parents and asked, (laughs) when are you coming home? Uh, God wants us living under the the idea he could return at any moment. Now, once the rapture happens, there's a lot of signs that lead up then to the second coming. And uh, to me, one of the most valuable reasons I hold on to a a pre-tribulational, pre-millennial, boy, that's big words to throw out without unfolding, it is the idea of the imminent return. Because if you believe in other views, then you'd say, well, until the Antichrist is revealed, the Lord can't return. And, uh, and, and that's, not, that's not true. He can rapture his church at any moment, and then tons of prophecies will be fulfilled leading up to the second coming. So yes, we're in the end times. Wow. There you go. That was a 30-second answer. That was phenomenal. <laughs> that was great. You know, I don't think you mean that. <laughs> I was just, I was good. It was the whole 30 second I was, thing. I was kind worshiping the whole time, Pastor. <laughs> when I answered that question. Hey, uh, I'll, I'll he wasn't here the other two hours. Yeah, I know he wasn't. <laughs> this is my first uh, I'll kind of start before, uh, yeah. down at the other end, James, with this one. Uh, is God going to judge me for the things I've done wrong? Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, uh, no. Yeah, okay. And so we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit. Probably uh, a good place to go is Romans 2. Uh, and Romans 2 is very, very clear that the, the judgment that is rendered to people on the, the day that they stand before the Lord is for the deeds that they have done. Uh, we actually spent a little bit of, well, a little bit of time. Somebody's going to laugh about that. We spent a great bit of time uh, parsing that out, oh, parsing that yeah. out when we were uh, talking about the, the fate of infants who die. Because will we say that those infants had a sinful nature? Absolutely. You know, David says in Psalm 51 that in sin he was conceived. But the question is, did that infant come to an age of moral accountability where they could perform sinful deeds? Because the Bible tells us over and over again, whether you look at Romans 2, whether you're looking at uh, the the great white throne judgment, that people will give an account for their deeds. But what's going to save you is not going to be your lack of sinful deeds or whether those deeds balance out. It's going to be, did you come under the blood of the Lamb? Jesus Christ. And that's why it says those whose names were not written in the book were cast into the lake of fire. And so absolutely, uh, you will be judged for your deeds. But if you are in Christ, he has already paid the penalty for your deeds. And then it's just going to be a matter of rewards. And that's how I would answer that question. That's good. Good job. Uh, Jerry. Yes. Yeah, you get to answer one. Why does he get a good job and I get a comment about how long I went on? (laughs) 
No comment. Uh, he's an omnivorous closet. Jerry, we actually got the question: Why are you so cool? Oh, we actually got get that out question. There. You know, I don't think I'm so cool. That's his phone number. Oh. <laughs> I don't think I'm so cool. I just think that I'm surrounded by lesser light. Oh, I see. Around me, and you feel a little brighter. <laughs> so I think that's. Why actually, I do I'm have a question for you. Uh, how many times cool. will God forgive a Christian who falls into sin? Uh, once, just one time, and that's it. No, uh, it falls into sound. Don't do it again. Find it, fall into sin. I mean, if they're a believer, I mean, they're forgiven. I mean, for now and for eternity, you don't continue to be forgiven, forgiven again. It's a one-time done deal. Uh, so, how many times can you forgive? Jesus tells in the scripture, man, seventy times seven, which means continuously, forever and ever. You know, you're forgiven. So, there's no grainy scale. Well, you just sinned a little too much today. So today, I'm not forgive you. Uh, tomorrow, maybe you don't sin as much. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, forever you're forgiven. You're a follower of Christ. If you're not a follower of Christ, you never profess faith and never had the blood of Christ upon your life. I mean, you're under wrath right now, and there's no forgiveness for you mm-hmm. until you make that profession of faith. So, there you go. I would add to that if I could. First John 1, 9, the idea of kind of the idea of familial forgiveness, of clearing the air between you and God. When we read a passage like First John 1, 9, it says to confess your sins because if you do, he's faithful and just mm-hmm. to forgive and to cleanse. And so then I'm, I'm, if you yeah, take that passage out of context and take it too far, there can be this idea that, well, if I don't have time to confess this sin, then, well, that one's not forgiven. Um, And we understand that in Christ, all of our sins have been paid for. And so there is this perfect perfect forgiveness in Christ. And the idea in 1 John 1, 9 is that um, we need to bring our sins to God to, to, to clear the air between us and Him, because we know if we let sin stack up without confessing, then things get really estranged between us and God, and we don't feel that close fellowship. And we have all probably time or another as believers uh, experienced a time where we felt distance from God. And maybe some of that is because we don't have the regular habit of clearing the air between us and him. Yeah. I'm going to take another angle in total agreement, not, not, mm-hmm. not in contradiction to what they just said. I was, I was trying to think what they meant by falling into sin. Mm-hmm. It, it seems to be, and I think on some level we all struggle with this. I, I don't know about y'all. I, I don't have 98 different sins. I, I got a handful I just kind of commit over and over and over, you know, and that, that tends to be more my problem than just the breadth of sins. First um, John chapter 3, I think, suggests that when sin becomes the practice mm-hmm. of our life, uh, then we need to question whether we're really saved. Mm-hmm. I don't think it says you lose your salvation it, it would suggest that it's a, it's a contradiction to say, I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm so grateful for the blood of Christ. I'm living under his grace. But I'm going to be honest with you, I am absolutely committed to continuing this sin. I, I, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to ask for help. I'm not going to get accountability. I am committed to maintaining my sin. And if that's what falling is, it's, it's, a, it's a continuity. It's a continuous. And, and I think we've all seen this, yeah, almost absolutely. a commitment. I want to own my sin. That's mine. And, and, and I'm looking for the reasons I can do that. And I'm getting defensive with you for telling me I can't do it. And finding scripture support would, me. Like yeah, that, which they do, it. don't yeah. they? Uh, I think First John 3 would say uh, you, you, you quite possibly are, are not a, a believer. So, because sin is not our identity anymore. Christ is our identity. And, and the reason our heart's broken and the reason we want to confess is, man, dang, I just, I just acted in a way, I just thought in a way that is just really contrary to, to my love, to, to my life, to, to who I'm seeking to be and what I'm seeking to do. So if you're not broken by the sin, then that's, that's a real problem. The issue is not how many times God can forgive me. 
I think the issue becomes what's your commitment to that sin and what you do with it. So not just pattern, but pattern paired with comfort or, yes. or a commitment. To yes. It. So a posture. Yeah, very, very good elaboration. It's, it's the pattern with, with comfort, with commitment to it. Yes. Okay. Give me that. What? Do you know, hey. now, J- Ronnie sat here the last two hours, but James and I have been putting up for this all morning. I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, check that out. Uh-huh. You, went, you went to seminary, right? Uh, yes. You got that? The best seminary. It was, it was, you got in... yours, though, was it at Fred's Flea Market? No. <laughs> no, it was a mail-in? It was a mail Okay. That's how I go to Ordain online. <laughs> online. Should look at no. this. Mail Should in I Ordain. read that? Wow. That's a long one. Yeah. Why has the church and our practices, so I assume this is talking about, like he's going to know what to look like. I shouldn't have said that. Why, why has the church and our practices lined up so closely with the style of the world? Ah. I'll say Jerry did that. Uh, we are not different anymore. Rock concert lights, smoke. Wow, this is today, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, (laughs) Emotional appeal, lack of modesty. It's the norm in the church now. If we try to remain modest or conservative, it's labeled legalistic. Mm. Why? Uh, Pretty good question. That is a very good question, and I'm excited. I'm glad I asked you that question. I'm excited. That's the question I got. Uh, Actually, okay. you know, when uh, it, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. He hasn't had his uh, motor running all morning. Yeah, I, know, I, know. I gotta catch up a Let little him peel bit. Peel wheels for a second. You know, when I think about. Did you know um, that uh is Latin for I'm thinking? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Um, we, uh, you know, when, when I think about what, uh, what we are to, to, to be or what we're to be as Christians, and we talk a lot about what separates us from the world and being separated from the world and talk a lot about holiness and everything. Um, a lot of that, to me, goes a lot more towards uh, questions like, you know, where do we fall on things like marriage? Or where do we fall on things that, that there's clear and obvious discrepancy with the model that God has created for our lives? So, like, uh, when it comes to marriage, if God created a, a model of marriage that is one man and one woman, and he said, I've ordained this, and we go against that, then that's something to me that, that we then have to approach and say, Man, what's going on there? We're being like the world if we're accepting some of these things. Um, but I think we can't l- apply that to everything. We can't apply that uh, to everything we come up against in our world because we come up with a lot of questions that the Bible hasn't spoken on. And I think how we conduct ourselves uh, in service and what services look like and things like that, we can't, there's no real model for that. Now, there's model for how we as a church body are to interact with one another and where we are to go uh, for truth. Uh, but there's not necessarily models in terms of, of worship. We see a lot of different ways of worship, a lot of different ways of expressing our worship to God. And, you know, I thought about this uh, with this question. We see so much in the scriptures of how majestic and awesome God is and how unbelievable he is and how he just shows up. As a matter of fact, you know what I thought of that just now is the song we just sang of, uh, uh, and I'm trying to remember the exact words, but there was just this language in some of those songs of, of just how great he is and how he comes down in fire and he does these amazing things. And you know what? When the world does a concert where they are doing just things you can't believe are happening, they're, we're not ripping them off, they're ripping God off. 
Because God is majestic. He is worthy of glory. He's worthy of all that we can invent and create and show him how much we, we appreciate him and how much we can express that or try to get people a glimpse into how majestic he is and how, how, glory, or how, uh, how awesome he is through some of these things. And so, uh, yeah, so, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, that I guess here's what I would seconds. say. No, that was Last thing, about to start preaching. we actually <laughs> see, I know, we actually see this with a lot of the churches over in Europe and just the, the attempt that people did to build incredible uh, things that demonstrated the glory of God in these churches. And here's what I would say. You know what? Last thing, and then I'll shut up. Uh, and you guys can do all the rest of the talking. We, uh, I, there's conservative and modesty is absolutely awesome, okay? Especially the modesty part of that. Um, absolutely awesome. And I think we've got, to, uh, we've got to address things like that. But I think we can't just jump into it and, uh, and kind of put these big you know, parameters over everything well, I based think on... What's yeah. interesting, looking at the question, I think modesty is a <laughs> biblical issue. Yes, yes, yes. Lights are not a biblical issue. Yeah. When, you, when you say, why are we becoming like the world... I think the, the real question, and I don't know who sent this, and I don't want you to take this that I'm attacking you or being, be defensive. I think what you're really asking is, why aren't we like the church of old? Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I've not been given a mandate by God to be like the church of old. There, there's a difference between not replicating what the church was 40 or 50 years ago and not being like the world. Where the Bible speaks to it, we cannot be like the, like the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'll give you a, another real quick example. Um, there would be a lot of people who think there is an absolute way you're supposed to dress when you go to church. Now, I'm not talking about modesty. Obviously, we should be modest. There's a way to dress when you go to church. You know what, oddly, folks, as many Americans as would believe that, you will not find a single verse in the entire Bible, Old or New Testament, that addresses, even forget commands, doesn't even address a principle as to how you dress when you go to church. Nothing. You know who asked that question? People who have closets. And most of the world doesn't have a closet. Most of the world doesn't have clothes for this occasion and clothes for this occasion and clothes for that occasion. Folks, I feel like I could almost prove Jesus got off the boat and went right into the synagogue. The same clothes he was fishing in is the same clothes he went into the synagogue with. Now, I'm, I'm not, I'm not again, I tell our staff, because we talk about dress and, and jeans, and I've made the comment, I know Jerry's heard me say this, yep. if you can go home and mow the yard right after you leave church in what you're wearing, then you probably should do better than that. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, we actually do care a, a little bit and talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, the person talks about legalism. Man, there's nothing wrong with saying, man, let's give God our best and let's, let's dress up. Let's treat this like a special occasion. That is a wonderful idea. And, and you should think through how you live that out. But when you take that and then make it a biblical rule that's not, and you make it a biblical rule for everybody else, that is by definition legalism, period. And Jesus hated that. Yeah. <laughs> not you applying something to your life. But when you began to judge others with that. Any other? I would just kind think, of... even when you talk about the whole dress thing, you know, talk about Jesus, and even Scripture, when he, when the only time he really addressed people really fiercely were the Pharisees. I mean, the people, the religious people who had this format, and he had the most harsh criticism for those, yeah. uh, not some people outside the church and different things, but for people who were pharisaical and, and had 
religious beliefs and they thought they should, everyone should be this way. So you just had some pretty harsh words uh, for mm-hmm. those people. Yeah. And so I think it's a, a caution that we got to be careful too, not to start judging people because of what they wear, what they dress, or what kind of lights we have in the church. Uh, those areas are areas that I think lead to sin. Can I say one more thing? One yeah. More thing. One more yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. Go ahead. You know what? I, we live in a changing world. And a lot of that change scares us, doesn't it? It scares us. It frightens us. It makes us uncomfortable. And, it, and if you're like me, and I'm sure you're, I, you know, I want to go somewhere where it's kind of what it used to be. <laughs> you know, I want to go somewhere that I can kind of count on what's happening. And I, and I would put the church as one of those places where I'd like to go. And it's just not constantly evolving and moving and maybe even moving away. You know what? I get that. And I don't think you're bad person or bad people or some I don't think that's bad I I, I, I get that um, I, I guess the challenge is then then how long do I let that thought Europe by and large is a picture of a church society that said come hell or high water we are going to be the church of 300 years ago and Europe is the most secular God forsaken continent on the world today and they have the most beautiful... You can do tours. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah. You can do tours of the sanctuaries in Europe. And they're, they're absolutely empty. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's switch gears. Uh, and I got one for Jerry. Uh, I think this is a great question. Awesome. How I do I question. know if I'm called to full-time foreign missions? How am I called? How, how would I know I that? Know? How would I know if I'm called to that? I think not just full-time foreign mission. I think any call in your life and call in the ministry, I think there would be, be some confirmation. I think there need to be some scriptural confirmation in your life, I mean, where God rebuilt himself through this word, because that's God's primary way of talking to us, right? The serious word. I don't know, very few of us heard his audible voice before. So I think you need confirmation in scripture. That is what God's called you to do. I think you need uh, probably the, the encouragement of people around you who see that in your life. Man, I think you should be called the missions. I, I see you have a heart of a missionary. And you know, so I think the people uh, you trust around you who are following Christ, if they see that in your lives, I think that's another sign that Maybe uh, you might be called the mission. So I think there's some skills there. I think there's a, a calling from God that you find in this word that kind of confirms that to you. Uh, I was called in the ministry, and a great part of me being called in the ministry was through God's word and revealing some stuff to me and letting me know that, Jared, this is my plan for your life. And I think that's how God communicates most stuff to us when it comes to big steps, especially when it comes to ministry. And his word confirms that in your life. So that's how I would answer the question. Thank you very much. <laughs> you can leave now. Okay, I'm just kidding. Uh, okay here's, here's another one, and I love this. We've actually gotten this question in a lot of different ways, but I love how it's, how it's done here. In the Old Testament, uh, men were able to marry multiple wives. Why not now? And this is a caveat. It says, I'm not a man, by the way. <laughs> I love that. But it did bring up another, uh, another question that we had gotten, which was about polygamy being in the Bible and how... how how difficult that is, uh, given that we defend a traditional marriage of one man and one woman. So I'll kind of pitch that out to the panel and see where you guys want to take it. Yeah, I'll start. Prescription descriptive, right? Boom. Yep, go ahead. And you weren't even here the last two services. <laughs> I know. I am sharp. You I'm listen bright. to me so well, though, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> you learned that from me, right? You know sure. what? Th- th- there's, a, there's a bigger principle th- than the question itself, and that is how do you interpret Scripture? H- h- how do you study Scripture? And one of the things, very, very important question to ask is, is what I just read describing something or prescribing? Prescribing is a command. Prescribing is a principle. Sometimes the scripture is describing something. To me, one of the great truths of scripture or that the scripture is true is clearly nobody went back and cleaned it up. Because all of our Bible heroes have warts, don't they? 
They all have things that are very wrong and, and, and very bad. Um, when the, the Bible prescribes very clearly one man, one woman for life in marriage. Old and New Testament do that. It never prescribes polygamy. It shows you people doing that. A couple that stand in my mind, uh, uh, Jacob, uh, David, mm-hmm. Solomon. Solomon. Those are probably three big names in the Old Testament. That it, and, it, and there's this multiplicity of, of wives and women. And what's interesting about that, folks, never once, as the Scripture shows you what these guys are doing, does it applaud it? Does it okay it? Does it in any way say it's okay? As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite. David's home was a disaster. Everything about his family was a disaster. And the Scripture constantly takes it back to his sexual appetite and and this multiplying of women. Uh, in his lives. And so not only did the scripture not applaud David for his multiple wives, but it shows the disaster that that ran throughout his family. Jacob and his wives, tremendous rivalry uh, between mm-hmm. those ladies. And the scripture highlights the rivalry, the wrong that, that came out of that, that marriage. You know, we all know the story of Joseph and the coat of many colors and he was the favorite son. Do you know why he was the favorite son? Because he belonged to Rachel, who was his favorite wife. And, and so, you know, that, that it went down from the multiple marriages into the children. And, and so what the scripture highlights, it, in a statement, it says they had multiple wives. And what it does then is it describes a story of the disaster that that was. Mm-hmm. So when you're reading something, is it prescribing? Is it telling me this is what I should be doing? Or is it just simply describing what was? And the scripture describes even our Bible heroes... As sinners. Mm-hmm. Uh, next question. Can you be a Texas Longhorns fan and still go to heaven? No. <laughs> uh, okay. Why <laughs> Moving on. A- actually. <laughs> why, why, why risk it? Hey, you, you know what? Actually, and I'll say something, but I'll throw it out here to you. Because I've been reading questions when, the, when we were down there as they were coming in. We've actually gotten questions. Can you be gay and go to heaven? Can you be, and this is my favorite one, can you be a liberal yeah. <laughs> and go to heaven? Um, the answer to those questions, folks, is definitively yes, because you don't go to heaven based on the sin you have or don't have. You you don't go to heaven based on the political party you choose or don't choose. Uh, you go to heaven because you've placed your life in faith under the person of Jesus Christ. Now, when you start talking about, can I have committed this sin and still go to heaven? First Corinthians, help me, six, nine. You cannot be list homosexuals, and it lists, but it doesn't just list homosexuals. It lists like... Can I read it? Do. That was going to be my read answer. So. Go, 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 go ahead. First uh, Corinthians 6, starting in verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually, sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. So I would take that back to what was our first or second question. Question. If I am a person who has struggled with homosexual tendencies, can I go to heaven? Yes. If I am committed to being a homosexual, if I'm committed to living out those tendencies, then I would go back to 1 John chapter 3. When you're committed to your sin, then what you're saying is, my faith is in my sin, not the blood of Jesus Christ. So you, you're, you've just defined yourself then. 
as that case. But it, it, it's, it's not the, the, the title that we care. There's nothing. Man, is this phenomenal? There's nothing you are. There's nothing you've done that can't be forgiven. There's nothing you are. There's nothing you've done that can keep you from enjoying eternal life in the person of Jesus Christ. The question is, do you love him? And is that your heart and desire to spend eternal life with Jesus Christ? Then more and more his desires should become our desires. Mm-hmm. And it ties, in, it ties in a little bit with the last question that we addressed. When you look through the story of the Bible, you see a history of just brokenness, fallen, rebellion, sin. But then that Christ came to take care of all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and that even in the lives of Bible heroes who were, were broken and fallen and, and made mistakes and rebelled in certain areas, that God counts faith as righteousness, and that parallels our own lives, that you can look through our own stories, just like the story of the Bible, and see brokenness, see rebellion in places, see all those sorts of things, uh, but that Christ came to take care of that, and where there is faith, there is an answer for those things. And so that, that ties in with the whole idea of you can't be committed to it. Uh, you have to demonstrate that you have rejected those things and thrown yourself on the mercies of God, um, but there is that, that parallel there between the story of the Bible and our own stories where we see warts and all, but that Christ takes care of all those things. Uh, one question uh, that's sort of related to what we've talked about, um, and it starts out like this, you know, a lot of the Bible is taken out of context, which we've talked about. Um, but then it asks this, how, how does the Bible relate to us today? Because the Bible was written to a certain, to a certain group of people, to a certain culture that's totally different from today. So shouldn't the context change uh, because we don't live back in Bible times? That's the question that's been asked. And so I want to pitch that out to our I would say panel. truth never changes. I mean, no matter if it's a thousand years ago or today, it doesn't change. Truth is always the same, uh, no matter what culture. And also, I think it's kind of a strange question sometimes because you're implying that God didn't know the future. He didn't know what was going to happen. So, you know, he wrote the Bible 2,000 whatever years ago and put it together, but he didn't know what was going to happen in 2014. So, so I think it uh, has a low view of God when you say, well, what the scripture said way back then uh, doesn't apply today because our culture has changed. God's very aware of the world, the culture. Uh, he made it, by the way. He's the author and creator of life. And so, culture is not God. And culture is not that God. That almost implies <laughs> that God should be responding to uh-huh. what culture is Absolutely. saying. Absolutely. And a lot, of the, you know, a lot of the arguments you read in Scripture about this or that, they're never based on cultural issues. I mean, they're, they're, based, on, they're based on truth, you know. Even um, oh, there's all kinds of stuff, examples of Scripture where God doesn't say this is right because of the culture. He argues right because of the truth of God's Word and who He is and His character. So, Good answer. Thank you very oh, much. Man. Did you I'm, have something? Uh, yeah, well, I was gonna, I was gonna add to that. Just a good case study for that is whenever you, whenever you look at a lot of what the Bible has to say about marriage, for instance, mm-hmm. they always point back to Genesis two. You know, there's this mm-hmm. thing that was established back in Genesis, and when Jesus teaches on it, when when Paul's talking to Timothy in his letters, they always point backwards to that, to the establishment establishment of that relationship. And so there is this uh, kind of undyingness about mm-hmm. it. But at the same time, there are things that happen throughout. Uh, redemptive history and, and as things get revealed that make it so that some truths are applied differently. You know, there's this principle of holiness in the Bible. We don't come here on Sunday morning and kill a bunch of animals before Randy gets up to preach because something significant has happened in the death of Christ that makes it so that while there's still this principle of holiness that we have to be holy and covered in order to come into fellowship with God, how we exercise that changes because things have changed. While they used to kill animals to cover sin in the Old Testament, that was pointing forward to Christ, and once his sacrifice is accomplished, we cling to Christ for our holiness. Our holiness is found in him. Our righteousness is found in him. So we exercise that differently. And so while the, the truth that never mm-hmm. changes stays fixed, the principle mm-hmm. stays fixed, the application of that principle 
uh, can change from, from context to context and throughout different points in redemptive history. Hey, can we sacrifice an animal before you preach? Would that be a good idea? Give it a run. Okay. Uh, actually, Randy, why don't you uh, why don't you give us a give us kind of what we could take away uh, from this morning and kind of wrap it up for us? Uh, okay. Uh, you know, uh, I'm thinking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can start. <laughs> you know, folks, as we answer questions, whether it's in front of a whole group of people or you're sitting around coffee answering questions with friends. You know, I hope what you hear today is we go back, we go back to the Bible. We go back to the Bible. What, what does the Bible say? As a matter of fact, this, this audience did not ask. We had one audience ask, do only Baptists go to heaven? I'm not sure what angle they were coming at that from. Uh, you know what, folks? I love being a Southern Baptist. I'm, I'm a company man. I, I was our state's president for two years. And so, I mean, I, I'm proud of our denomination. I love, I'm very involved in it. If you'll think about it, though, how often do you hear me use the word Southern Baptist when I'm standing in the pulpit? Never. I have zero goal for you to be a good Southern Baptist. Zero. Uh, my goal, our goal, is for you to be a faithful, effective follower of Jesus Christ. And, and it's not a denomination. Amen. It, it's, and we're not going to point you. Now, now, Catholics say this is what a faithful, effective follower. Southern Baptists say that. What does God's word say? Let's let God's word describe what, what an effective this, what a, a faithful that is. What does God's word say on those things? And matter of fact, Jerry, you, what did you say you, about the, if it's God's word, we do it. And if it's not, we, we might. Oh, the, th- the three things? Yeah, that was really cool. Say oh, that again. Okay. <laughs> okay. When we try to answer questions in our, in our student ministry and throughout our church, if the Bible speaks directly to an issue, we answer it uh, according to what the Bible says because we believe in the Bible. And, and we say, story. boom. I mean, boom, that's the answer. That's no, the answer. No, uh, no debate. If the Bible doesn't address something directly and we find some principles, we'll use principles to kind of say, well, maybe not talk about it directly. Matter of fact, I had a question this morning uh, from one of our students about dating. You know, what's the Bible say about dating? That's, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about dating. But we have some principles around what we need to think about. So we have some biblical principles that follow that up. And then the third area is kind of gets probably a little muddier. And if the Bible doesn't speak about it, we can't find principles on it, we say, we'll give you our opinion. And we try to be forthright with it. Here's my opinion. I've heard Randy say before, here's my opinion. I think this, you know, or all of us mm-hmm. say that. So those are the three things we try to filter all of our Bible questions through. I mean, so I, I, would, I would hope people leave with two things. And I didn't say this the other two hours. <laughs> no, I should have. <laughs> yeah. I hope you leave today thinking, man, I want to know more of what God's Word says. And I think wherever you are in your relationship with God's Word, I hope you leave saying, I want to know more of what God says. The second thing I hope you leave with is, man, I'd like to have relationships like this. I'd like to have friendships that are built around, like we do in life groups. I'd like to have relationships that are built around studying, understanding. I think Proverbs says, iron sharpens iron. Uh, as a matter of fact, I got to say real quick, I got a good friend of mine over here, Carl Nockengoss from seminary. Uh, that's decades ago now, isn't it, Carl? <laughs> we're coming up on three, de- two decades, three decades ago, we were in seminary together. Uh, and, and we had a group called Iron Sharpens Iron. And we got together and basically fought over what we'd heard our professor said and what we believed. And, but you know what? In that dialogue, we get sharper. In that dialogue, we hold each other accountable. God's not calling you to come sit in a building once a week and hang out. He's calling you to engage with people. And and as we wrap up today, you know what, folks? You can answer a lot of Bible questions, know more about Israeli history and Israeli geography than the average person, and spend all of eternity in hell. 
you can, you can win the sword drill. Uh, I know what verse that is. You can win that and, and spend eternity separated from God. Our, our goal is not just how smart can you be. And oh my gosh, I hope you would desire to be smarter in God's word than anything else. But are you in relationship with Christ? Ha- have you come up under him? Because you're not going to be given a quiz when you stand before God. You know, you're not going to be told to mention the books in a row when you get... Do you have a personal relationship with God? And boy, as we leave here today, there's opportunity for that to happen in your life. Right in the center of our concourses, we got there's a table there called our Fresh Start Table. Maybe a chance for you to begin having a fresh start with God. A group of folks standing there say, hey, what, what's this mean to have a relationship with God? How do I do that? And, and they'd be happy to talk with you right now. The amount of time you want to give, it's based on you. Uh, about how you come into a relationship with God. And, and secondly, we follow Christ together. It, it's in relationship that we do that. If you're not connected with a church family, don't belong to a church family right now, I want to encourage you to take that step. This is about, we actually do this. Uh, a lot of times they leave me out because they want to fight about the answers. Uh, as a matter of fact, we had a discussion Monday, and Andy said after you left my office, you went out and you all debated and had a real headache over it. <laughs> You didn't tell me that. You're a busy man. <laughs> no, that's not what it is. So we'll talk about paradise in heaven. Let's do it. Later. Um, Snitch. Are you, uh, <laughs> I did kind of set you up there, didn't you I? You did. You did. In thanks. front of everyone, too. So now thanks. I can't even get away with it. Tells man. Me everything. So uh, thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, folks, it, it's, it's, it's living life in Christ together. And if you need a church home, I hope you go to that table out there and say, what's it mean to be a member here? How do I, how do, I do that? Remember our first time uh, guest, first time here, we have a gift for you. Go out there and get that. want to invite all of our guests. I'll be out there for a moment. Hope you'll come by. I'd love the opportunity to meet you. And uh, as I close this in prayer, I want to let you know one thing I'm going to be praying for. We have a team leaving for Nicaragua uh, Saturday, Saturday to Saturday, uh, doing a, a, a great work there. I think that we're going to Nicaragua three times. Uh, this year, you're going on this this yes, team in, in May next week. So uh, he'll be on that. Um, and so let's keep them in our prayers. We close up today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's been awesome to be in your house, to worship you, to be with your people, to to love you and to love each other. Oh, Lord, I do pray that that's what's happened here today. I do pray that that's what you observed and what you witnessed as you watched your your people gathered, that we sought to love you when we sang. We sought to love you when we gave. We loved you when we went to life group and dialogued about what this means and what that means. And, and Lord, even as we answered questions here today, as, as we just have a desire to know you better and, and to live better for you in the world in which you've called us to live. Uh, Father, I pray, gosh, especially today, we so many different things, so many different angles. Lord, you know what each one of us leads. Boy, really plan in them the one thing they need to get. Just help them forget all the rest. And uh, I pray they leave here, Lord, with a heart and a mind uh, for you. Lord, I do lift up to you the team leaving for Nicaragua Saturday. Give them safe travel. Give them health. Uh, I pray your favor on them as they move through different governing officials and intersections, Lord. And I pray you're going to do a great work for the gospel through them. I pray they're going to enjoy each other and just have great team unity. I pray that they're going to be a blessing to Guillermo and Carlos and Wallace, the other missionaries that are there, the other believers that are there. 
And uh, in all of that, Lord, give them great opportunity through the medicine, through the homes they build, through the feeding that they do, through the door-to-door ministry. Give them great opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may we see a great harvest. It's in your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Y'all have a great week.